Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here uh, and celebrate first day of December and this month where we look forward to uh, celebrating the Lord Jesus coming. Uh, I was here a few months ago uh, when we had a time where we had a panel up here and we were exploring the theme of welcoming people from other cultures. Now, as being part of that panel, I learned a lot. I hope you did on that day as well. And I hope you've had the opportunity since to practice some of your skills in cross-cultural friendship. Now, there was a survey two years ago done in America of American churchgoers. And the question they asked was, have you heard of the Great Commission? The Great Commission was what Andrew read just before communion. We hadn't teed that up, um, but he read those last few verses of Matthew 28, which is known as the Great Commission. 51% of these churchgoers in America said, no, we have not heard of the Great Commission. 25% said, yes, we've heard about it, but I can't really say what it means. 17% said, yes. I've heard of it, and it's all about us making disciples who make disciples of all the nations of the world, that they might know the Lord Jesus and follow him. I don't know how you would go with that question. Hopefully after today, you can answer, yes, I have heard of this. But even more important than knowing the Great Commission is obeying it. And so today, as you head into this month of focusing on missions beyond our local context, I thought it would be helpful to see the big picture of the mission of God in this world. God's global vision is that all the peoples of the earth should hear of the Lord Jesus. And you and I have a key part to play in making that happen. Now, towards the end, I'm going to share two cross-cultural stories, one from Africa and one from Papua, to help us engage in learners in this big, multi-ethnic, global family that God is gathering together to partner with Him in His global mission. Now, if you're here for the first time today, then you are most welcome. All over the world, people wander into gatherings like this perhaps unsure what actually brought them here today. But they end up hearing of the things of God and lives are changed forever. Now we gather in peace this morning with humble hearts to listen to our Creator and to learn of Him. May He reveal Himself to us today and may may He give us grace to respond in faith and obedience. I'm going to pray for us, so if you'd like to bow your heads. Lord God, we gather together in your name. We honour you as the creator of all the earth and the creator of all the peoples of the world. We thank you that we have this opportunity to come and to listen. We pray that we will not just listen with our ears, but with our minds, with our hearts and with our souls. And that you would help us to see what you're on about in this world. And that you would show us personally what it would mean for us to join in with what you are doing. And we pray for this in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. Now, our friend Dr. Luke wrote two books in the Bible. The first one is one of the four Gospels, one of those historical biographies of the Lord Jesus, his life and death and resurrection. And the second is the book of Acts, a volume two, a sequel, the story of how the first followers of Jesus took this message and spread it to all the world. Now, these two books overlap in the middle. The last chapter of Luke, chapter 24, the first chapter of Acts, chapter 1, they overlap in the middle. And these chapters are a hinge, if you like, that contain one of the most beautiful summaries in the Bible of the vision that God has for this world. Now, hopefully on the screen, you will see some words that you may be familiar with, that you, are, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, after Jesus rose from the dead, he remained on earth for 40 days before he ascended to heaven. And he used that time to prepare his disciples for continuing his mission after he would go. And he said these words to them, the Holy Spirit will come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now I want us to think for a moment about this phrase, the ends of the earth. Where are these ends? When we are people that know the world is round, where are the ends of the earth? What did Jesus mean when he said these words? Now, do we have the slide of the map? We do. And you might think it's upside down, but it's not. I put this in because whenever we read the Bible, it should challenge us as to how we are viewing the world that we live in. We just have habits of viewing the world the way that we do. But when we read the scriptures, God should turn our world upside down. So when Jesus said these words, he was standing um, in Jerusalem. And some clever person has calculated that the furthest populated place away from where Jesus was standing was in the city of Dunedin right on the southern tip of New Zealand. That geographically was the ends of the earth. So you can see that we here in Tasmania are very close to the ends of the earth. And the message of Jesus has reached us. It has reached the ends of the earth. Now it's fascinating to think through and imagine the miracles that have happened during the past 2,000 years, that I should be standing here holding a Bible in the language of English and that we should be gathered here in peace, hearing the message of Jesus. Think through what has happened for that to occur. The people who have laid down their lives in sacrificial service and obedience out of a wholehearted love for God 
and a single-minded obedience to his mission. Because of their lives well lived, we have heard of the Lord Jesus. Let us never take this for granted. So aware of that privilege, let's turn our attention to the passage in Luke 24 that we'll be looking at. To give you some context, Jesus has risen from the dead. He appeared to some of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus and they had a great conversation. And now he appears in the evening amongst all of these disciples. He even sits down and has a meal with them proving that he was really, truly alive and risen from the dead. If you were one of these disciples, you'd be scratching your head thinking, what has just gone on? This one that we saw as dead is now alive and eating with us and speaking with us. Now, thankfully, Jesus in these passages gives some explanation of what's going on. I'm going to read from Luke 24, starting at verse 44. Jesus said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the book of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, This is what is written, the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Now that would have been a wonderful Bible study to be a part of. The risen Lord Jesus taking you on a scenic tour throughout the Bible of the day to explain how it all connects with him. The death and resurrection were no accident of history. These events happen precisely according to God's plan and the disciples had a key part to play in God's ongoing mission to the world. Now Jesus said the book of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms all speak of him and we're going to take some highlights from these books. I don't know if you're a test cricket fan, Uh, I am, I prefer to watch the long version I respect, though, that the highlights package is all that some people can take. But if you truly love test cricket, you're not satisfied just with the highlights. You want to see the ebb and flow of how this plays out in time. We've only got time to look at the highlights this morning. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to get to know the Scriptures so well that you can see how each part speaks of the Lord Jesus. Now we're going to look at two sections from Genesis, two from Psalms, and two from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah. And we're going to see the unity of the message of the Bible and just how remarkable 
it is. So let's begin at the beginning because it's a very good place to start. Let's look at Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, leave your people and leave your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went just as the Lord had told him. God was speaking to Abraham 2,000 years before the Lord Jesus. God had chosen him, chosen to bless him. But he was making it clear he is not giving blessing to Abram just for his sake. But that through him, all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. God, our creator, takes the initiative to step into this broken world to call a man and then promise to bless the world through him. Flick over to Genesis 22 and I'll read 17 and 18. God says again to Abraham, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Through one of your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, and the numbers of people will be so many that it would be easier to count the stars in the sky or the sand on the shore. Again, God takes the initiative and promises to bless those descendants of Abraham in order to bless all nations. And he was to do it through this chosen descendant. Let's move forward to Psalm 67. We are now 1,000 years before Jesus, at a time when the people of God had been gathered formed into a nation, they had a land to live in, and they had a good king whose name was David. And this good king saw what God was doing. The nation went off track many times, but this psalm tells us that David and others remembered that God was doing something, fulfilling the promises through Abraham. Psalm 67, verse 1. David prays, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. And then further down, may God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Do you see this language of blessing coming from the Lord, but not to be stored up by the people, 
for them to be open channels so that through God's people, that blessing could flow to all the nations of the world and that all the ends of the earth would fear him. But how was the Lord to do this? There are so many scriptures we could choose from that speak of the Messiah, the special person, the servant leader whom God was to raise up and and through him to fulfill his mission. We are going to look at just two of those passages that speak particularly clearly of this Messiah and the suffering and death he was to endure. Psalm 22, it begins with words that you would be familiar with, words that the Lord Jesus spoke on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we hear those words, we hear despair. But when you read the rest of the psalm, you hear that it's speaking of something wonderful. If you go down verses 7 and 8, the description of the suffering Jesus went through. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let the Lord deliver him since he delights in him. Down to verse 16. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and they gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. If you are familiar with the gospel accounts of the Lord Jesus, you see what is happening here, what is described. 1,000 years before it even was to happen. But the psalm speaks of amazing faith. Look at verse 24. God has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. God heard the cry of the Lord Jesus on the cross allowed him to die on our behalf and be buried, and yet on that third day be raised up to life. And then when you look down to verse 27, all the ends of the earth will remember and they will turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. You see in this wonderful psalm, A thousand years before it happened, it speaks of the suffering and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus and that message going out to the ends of the earth. Now let's flick over to Isaiah. Isaiah has been known as the fifth gospel. We think there's Matthew, Mark, Luke and John speaking of the Lord Jesus, but Isaiah speaks so often of him that it's known as the fifth gospel. Isaiah was speaking about 500 years before the Lord Jesus. And come with me to Isaiah 53. I'll read from verses 3 to 7. 
He was despised and rejected by man, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. We held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. It speaks so clearly of the suffering and death of the Lord Jesus. But come down to verse 11. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by the knowledge of him, my righteous servant will justify many. Do you see again, it speaks of the resurrection and of news of that going out and that many being justified as a result. Our sin was laid on him. He died on our behalf. He was buried, yet the Lord raised him back to life. This passage in Isaiah 53, this was the one that Philip the Evangelist in Acts 8 shared with that Ethiopian man. And that man came to faith in the Lord Jesus and went back to his people and shared the message. Let's look at one last verse in Isaiah 49, down in verse 6. God says, it's too small a thing for you, my servant, my Messiah. It's too small a thing simply to rescue the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel that I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, people like us who are not Jewish by ethnicity. I'll make you a light for the Gentiles so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You see, God is so full of goodness, so overflowing with life and generosity, that his blessing was not to be limited to a small patch of earth in the Middle East. But the light of his salvation was to go to the ends of the earth. And I'm so thankful that people heeded his message and brought it here so that we could hear it. Now, this verse must have been an important one for Dr. Luke and the other disciples. It's mentioned in Luke chapter 2 when the baby Jesus was born and Simeon in the temple saw in this baby the one who was to be the light for the Gentiles. In Acts 13, when Paul is going on one of his missionary tours, he used this verse to speak of the Lord Jesus in those, that area in Turkey where they were hearing of him for the first time. So we've sampled just a few passages, some highlights from Genesis in the book of Moses, the Psalms, and the prophet Isaiah. God promising to send a descendant of Abraham, the Messiah, so that through his unique life and death and resurrection, blessing would come to all the peoples of the world. 
And now Jesus in Luke 24 is impressing these truths on those followers of his and preparing them and training them for the role that they were to take as witnesses, communicating these things to the world. Now, I would encourage you later today to pick up your Bible, read over Luke 24, and start reading into the sequel, the book of Acts. It's the story of these first disciples, empowered by the Holy Spirit, taking their first humble, broken steps to being witnesses for Jesus in obedience to what he said in Luke 24 and Acts 1. They speak of death, resurrection, ascension, the Holy Spirit being witnesses, repentance and forgiveness. Listen to this in Acts 5. Peter stood up in front of the people. We must obey God rather than man. God raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring people to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Chapter after chapter, you will hear these truths again and again. And it says the word of God spread. And the word of God increased. And the word of God grew in power. These truths proclaimed again and again, they're like a heartbeat pulsating through the book of Acts as this message goes from Jerusalem out to the ends of the earth. Now, I think the map will come up again. The message of Jesus has spread out. It began in Jerusalem and Judea. It spread cross-culturally to Samaria, that nearby area. Then it headed up through to Africa as the Ethiopian heard the message and took it back to his people. It spread into Europe as Paul and Barnabas and Silas and Timothy and others started taking it through Turkey to Greece and then to Rome. And Paul even had his sights on Spain. It also headed east through Asia as Thomas and others took the gospel to India. This is 2,000 years of the Holy Spirit working through humble, grateful people, hearing, believing, obeying, serving, and passing on the message of Jesus. So this is a question for you this morning. Have you truly heard this message? It's a message that demands a response. We cannot stay neutral to it. Isaiah tells us all of us have gone astray, each of us to his own way. We are called to repent. A simple, simple word that just says, turn around and start walking in the opposite direction, not living your own way anymore, but looking to the Lord Jesus, listening to him, obeying him, and walking in his ways. The promises of forgiveness is for all who turn from their sin and look to the Lord Jesus in faith, 
and demonstrate the sincerity of this change by no longer living for themselves, but for him and his purpose in the world. This is what it means to be a disciple, an apprentice, a learner, one who trusts the master and who walks in obedience in the way of Jesus. Now, this is God's global vision for the world, that people would hear of this message, turn from their sin, receive forgiveness, and be gathered into a worldwide community of believers. You won't hear that on the news, that that's the purpose of history. You won't be hearing it on social media, but you do hear it in the Word of God. Predicted 2,000 years before, 1,000 years before, 500 years before, fulfilled in the Lord Jesus, and over 2,000 years echoed throughout the world. This is the main game. And so you and I have a choice to make. Do we want to join in with what God is doing? We can choose to waste our lives and fill them up with all sorts of distractions. Or we can choose to invest our lives, joining in with God's mission and being witnesses of Jesus to the ends of the earth. But how do we invest our lives well? I want to suggest there's two broad ways in which we might join in with God's mission. The first is you start where you are, in the time and place that God has put you. There are many nooks and crannies in our local community in Launceston where Jesus is not known. Can we be the sorts of people that intentionally reach in to those dark places in order to bring the light of Jesus? You might be the only disciple of Jesus in your family, the only one in your workplace or your school, the only one in your soccer team or the street where you live. What a privilege you have to live as a witness, to demonstrate what life looks like in that particular time and place with Jesus as Lord of your life, to live wholeheartedly for him and to pray for lives to change. Now, I mentioned I was going to share a couple of stories. The first one is about this woman here. Her name is Kajia. My family and I spent five years in South Sudan, and Kajia was the one that taught us language. Not only language, she was a humble woman of God that shared of her faith and taught us so many things about what it means to live for Jesus in that place. When we evacuated in 2016, we lost contact for, from her. And for three years, we did not know if she was alive or dead. Three weeks ago, we got a message from one of our friends. Kajia is alive, and this is what her three years has been. When the war reached Ye, the town where we were living in 2016... Kajia decided to go to the village. 
Her son and daughter were both in the capital city, but she had a sick brother in the village. So she went there with her pregnant daughter-in-law, and they stayed there. Her brother eventually died from his sickness, and the daughter-in-law gave birth in the bush, the young girl who is holding Kazia's hand in the picture. She said that she dug a garden to eat, but she had to sell most of her things in order to get food. During three years living in the bush, they had to move to different places at least three times for safety. She said that she knew that people were praying for her. Wherever she went, she found favor with the local people. She always found young men to help her roof her house, for example. And in the places that she stayed longer, she started a church. She gathered children and taught them in Sunday school. She opened a small nursery school. And in July 2018, she returned to Ye. On her return, she found her homes intact and she moved there with her two grandchildren. She is now leading a women's group in her church and she continues to serve the Lord Jesus. This is a... This is a single woman in a country ravaged by war and tribal conflict that looks to her father for her needs. And everywhere she goes, she knows people need to know not who she is, but who the Lord Jesus is. And as a trained teacher, she gathers the children and she speaks of him. And churches start. The first place we honour God is the place where he's put us, our here and now. Be the light of Jesus in your here and now, in the time and place the Lord has put you. But you may sense another thing stirring in your soul, a realisation that there are large parts of the world where the Lord Jesus is not known. For as wonderful as it is that the message has reached this particular end of the earth here in Launceston, take stock of this. There are still three billion people scattered through the world who have no face-to-face -face contact with a follower of the Lord Jesus. Unless they come to us or one of us goes to them, they will be born they will live and they will die and they will not hear of him. Three billion people. At some point, one of us has to leave where we live to share the gospel and plant the church where it does not exist. Every church must have a global vision. These places are also the ends of the earth that Jesus was speaking about in Acts 1 verse 8, just like Launceston was. And they are full of precious people who need to hear of him. What can we do? What can you do? What is our part to play as believers in Launceston? I want to finish with this story. It's profoundly moving. 
I met the man in the middle two weeks ago and he is deeply appreciative of the people of Tasmania. He comes from the Yali tribe in Papua. I met him, we got to know one another and I said, oh, one of my friends from Tasmania, he lives in Papua. Maybe you know him. And I mentioned his name. And our friend here smiled, a sad smile. And he said, my friend, in 1968, a man from your tribe came to my tribe and my father's and my grandfather's, we killed him. He came with the news of Jesus and we killed him. Stan Dale grew up in New South Wales but moved down to Tasmania. His wife, Pat, was a nurse at Lonnie General. They got married, they had children. Stan had had some military experience in New Guinea. He'd seen the tribes that had not heard of the Lord Jesus and he vowed to come back. So he and his wife in 1960, they were married in Devonport in the Gospel Chapel. They went out from our place and they went and lived and they learned language. And then they went further up, further up. In 1966, he got five arrows through his body and he was healed from that, and he went back. And at September 25 in 1968, he walked into the Singh Valley, and he and a colleague, Phil Masters, they got arrow after arrow, and they died. The Yali tribe killed them. There was a funeral a few days later, and the sermon said, Ice can be melted by a small candle. But when there is stone, that requires someone to lay down their lives and have such radiant love for a people that that love could melt even a heart of stone. Three months later, there was a MAF plane carrying a missionary family and some others. It crashed into the valley in Papua, where this tribe lived. Everyone on that plane was killed, except a 10-year-old boy. A search party went out, and two days later, they came into the valley. They recognized it as the place three months ago where Standale and Phil Masters were killed. This small 10-year-old boy runs to them. And he's followed by the men of the tribe who said three months ago, we made a terrible mistake. One of your people came to speak of the things of God and we killed him. But God has been kind to us. He has sent you to us again. This boy is one of yours. We have looked after him. Please take him back. And please send another one of your people to tell us of the one that Standale was going to tell us. This man comes from the Yali tribe. 51 years later, he is the director of mission in a denomination of one million believers. 1,000 churches. Standale laid down his life so that the Lord Jesus would be known where he is not known. 
And God honoured that sacrifice, gave birth to a church that 51 years later has a million believers seeking to make him known in those other ends of the earth where he is not known. God raises up goers and he raises up senders and people living in darkness hear of the great light of the Lord Jesus and they learn to worship him. When Standale heard that there were places where Jesus was not known, he put up his hand and he said, I will go. And his wife said, I am willing too. We will do it together, whatever it takes, so that people who have not heard can hear of the Lord Jesus. And a team of prayers and donors and encouragers was formed to support them in the work. The Holy Spirit inspired and directed and sustained an international team effort of believers coming together. And in the midst of costly sacrifice, blessing came to the Yali people and a church was born to the glory of God. And now there are Yali who are fellow workers with us in this ongoing mission of making Jesus known. Romans 10 says, how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone speaking to them? How can they speak unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. God is a global God. We must be global disciples and we must join in with his global mission. Now we need to finish, but I want to give you one challenge one encouragement, one very practical and essential first step. Faced with this overwhelming reality of three billion people who have not heard of the Lord Jesus, the first thing we must do is humble ourselves and learn to pray. Pray on your own. Pray as families. Pray in your home groups. Pray together on Sundays to regularly remember the three billion unreached peoples of the world and to ask the Lord how he would like us to be involved and then to obey whatever he gives for us to do. There are prayer guides like this one, 31 days to remember 31 unreached people groups that need to hear of the Lord Jesus. And there may be Ones like Stan Dale going from this place, going from the believers of Launceston to the ends of the earth where Jesus is not known. God is a global God. We must be global disciples and we must join in as goers or senders with his global mission. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to confess our human way of zeroing in and focusing on ourselves and those places that we are familiar with. We need your help. 
We thank you that you have a vision for all the peoples of the world. We thank you that people were obedient to you and came to us with this message. Please help us as ends of the earth disciples now to take the gospel to other ends of the earth where you are not known. Thank you for this church and what they're already committed to in mission. Please inspire them and guide them to places in the world where you are not known, that they might play a tangible part in you becoming known and people coming to be worshippers of you that do not know of you right now. Please equip us and guide us in this that we might be obedient to you in everything. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did in leaving heaven and coming to earth. Thank you that you've given us this message. Help us to respond in faith and obedience. Amen.